right now we want to continue with our uh, message series from the book, book of uh, Acts called uh, Spirit, Mission, and Drama. And the title of today's message is uh, First and Second Conversions. And you say, now, Ronnie, I'm familiar with a couple of books of the Bible, First and Second Corinthians, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, First and Second uh, Timothy, First and Second Peter. But what do you mean First and Second Conversions? Well, today we're in Acts chapter 10, and it's the story, really, of two conversions. One for a man by the name of Cornelius, and another for the apostle Peter. Because each of these gentlemen will have a profound turning point in their life. And they're going to have a powerful story to uh, share around the campfire for years to come. And I hope for those of you who've already been converted to Christ that you will plan to have really multiple conversions in your lifetime. Second, third, and fourth. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, just going outside and seeing a sunset. That's nice. It's a wonderful thing. I'm talking about a moment, an event, a season, an experience, sometimes a painful one, whereby you take a quantum leap forward in your spiritual walk. You get straightened out on something. Or there's a doctrinal principle that begins to explode in your life. Um, your heart gets softened maybe to a particular group of people. Or a ministry gets, gets born in your life. You get where I'm, I'm going with this? That's, that's a second conversion, a third conversion. Okay, uh, let's walk through this uh, narrative here from Acts chapter 10. I'm going to divide it up into four scenes, and here's scene number one. At Caesarea, and for those of you who've been to uh, Israel, and if you've been to Israel uh, with me, you know that Caesarea is usually our first stop after landing in Tel Aviv, and uh, Caesarea by the sea, and it's a fantastic place to see. Well, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, and what was known as the Italian Regiment. And so Israel is, of course, under the Roman occupation, the Roman Empire. And uh, Cornelius uh, is an important military official. He's a centurion, over 100 uh, uh, soldiers. But he's a part of the Italian cohort, more than likely a little secret service group protecting uh, one of the Roman officials stationed there in uh, Caesarea because Caesarea was a provincial capital. It was a major administrative uh, center. But what's emphasized here is not so much what Cornelius did, but who he was, the kind of person he was. And he's going to be described, he'll be described in four fantastic ways. Verse 2, he and all his family, they were, notice, they were devout, they were God-fearing, he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. This is a really, really good guy. He would give you the proverbial shirt off of his back. He's impressive. He has a sparkling reputation. You're not going to find a better chap than Cornelius. He's friendly to the Jews. He has a good reputation among them, but he doesn't necessarily believe in the God of the Scriptures. He's certainly not yet a Christian. 
a good man, a good moral person, but not yet redeemed. And if you adhere to the belief of universalism that there is no judgment to come, everybody, always, all of us just end up in a good place, then why would he need to hear the gospel? But here's Cornelius, a really fine person, friendly to the people of God, but he's still in need. And so verse 3, one day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and Cornelius stared at him in fear, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor, they have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, I want you to send men to Joppa. Joppa is about 30 miles south of Caesarea. I want you to send some men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so, this entourage from Cornelius, they begin to make their way to Joppa, as I said, 30 miles south. But as they're on their way, God is also providing for Peter his own little divine encounter. Scene 2, verse 9. About noon, the following day, as they, that's the entourage from Cornelius, as they were on their journey and approaching the city of Joppa, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Can't you just see him? A little sunbathing. It's a nice day going up. He's going to pray. And um, he became hungry, wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. All the hunters in our church love this scripture. See, honey, I told you. See, right there. It's in the Bible. Peter. Get up, kill, and eat. Now, everybody in this room, you're familiar with the apostle Peter. He's an activist, the most colorful of the apostles, passionate, enthusiastic. He's also very meticulous when it comes to Jewish dietary laws. There were laws given to the Jewish people that set them apart from the Gentiles, from others. By the way, when I use the word Gentile, the word Gentile simply means nations. Basically, in the Bible, if you see the word Gentile, it simply means you're not a Jew. You're not from a Jewish background. Now, Gentiles could convert to Judaism. They could become a Jewish proselyte, begin to observe all the Jewish rituals. The Jewish law had three components to it. A moral law, which is good. Really, most of that's still in effect. There was a ceremonial law and a civil law. The ceremonial law had all of these restrictions and codes that set the Jewish people apart as being unique. 
God's people for God's particular purposes. And Peter was meticulous. He was kosher. Certain foods he would eat, certain foods he would not eat. And so when he's got this dream, this vision, and here comes this sheet let down with all of these animals representing international foods, foods he never would have touched. Peter, get up, kill, eat. And notice what he says, surely not, Lord. (laughs) Those are three words that shouldn't go together, right? Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I have followed meticulously the principles laid down in Leviticus chapter 11. I have never broken, he says, the Jewish ceremonial dietary laws. So surely not, Lord. I'm not going to eat anything impure or unclean. And the Lord's, and the Lord said, Verse 15, do not call anything impure that God has made. Now, this little episode is repeated three times because I think Peter probably thought the first time, "Uh uh-oh, I'm being tested here in a way. Three times. God is letting it sink in. And hey, everybody, at some point, it begins to sink into Peter. Uh Uh-oh, this is not really about food, is it? This is not only about food, is it? I remember Jesus saying, the food laws have been done. That's, That's no more. This is about people. Don't you call any person whom God has created and made impure or unclean. Don't you view any person as someone who's outside the boundaries of God's purposes? Well, while all of this is swirling around in Peter's head and psyche, the friends of Cornelius show up in Joppa, introduce themselves to Peter, and escort him the 30 miles north to Caesarea. And Cornelius has gathered his family and friends around, and they're having a welcome party for Peter. And when Peter gets there, oh, they are so excited. He could not have had a greater welcome. And I wonder what it was like. When Peter stepped across the threshold into the home of a Gentile, I mean, you just couldn't go into a Gentile's home because they don't follow the dietary laws and you defile yourself as a Jew. What was it like to step across that threshold? Peter actually said these words. He says, You yourselves know that it's just unlawful for a Jew to associate with anyone of another nation, a Gentile. But God has provided us a new solution. God has shown me that I should not call any person 
common or unclean. It's not just about the food. It's about the people who would consume the food. You don't call any person or unclean. Peter's vision was ostensibly about the food, but he understands now it's about people. And by the way, I hope you still believe in God's supernatural ability, just like the supernatural working he did to connect Saul with Ananias, and just like the supernatural working here to connect Cornelius with Peter, I believe God is still supernaturally in our world, orchestrating events and visions and opportunities, connecting a seeking heart with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will never find a wiser and more creative evangelist than the living God. Second Chronicles 16 in the Older Testament says this, The Lord's eyes roam the earth looking for hearts that are devoted to Him. So scene three, Peter has stepped across the threshold. He's going to talk to Cornelius and his family about Jesus. But here's the heart of his message. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. Look at these three words. I now realize. Say those three words with me. You ready? I now realize. One more time. I now realize. I knew it before. I knew it at the edges before. It was out there at the periphery before. I, I, I sort, of, sort of knew this, but I now get it. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but He accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. God does not show favoritism. Well, Ronnie, there are some people prettier than me, smarter than me, more talented than me. That's not what this means. It means that God does not show favoritism in that whomever you might be, from whatever nation, you're not inherently impure or unclean or unworthy or out of bounds. God welcomes all through faith and repentance into his kingdom and into his family. And so Peter, he has stepped across that threshold. He says, I get it now. And to, the, and to this Gentile group that's gathered, he talks to them about Jesus. He lived, he died. We are witnesses of this. He was raised from the death, raised from the dead. And verse 42, he says, and Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that, okay, pay attention now, because Peter is about to emphasize the universal applicability of the message of Jesus, that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. My friend, that pretty much includes everybody. Can you think of a category of persons outside those two categories, living or dead? That's pretty much everybody, right? 
Hello. Yeah. God shows no favoritism. In fact, starting out, he's the judge over all the living and all the dead. So everybody. And then Cornelius, even you, verse 43, and all the prophets testify about him that, what's the next word? Everyone, say that word with me, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. But Cornelius is such a good guy, moral, decent. You're saying he needs to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins? Yes. Even good people need the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit falls in such a wonderful way. It falls upon Cornelius and his household. They begin to speak in tongues, something that happens only three times in the book of Acts. And Peter and, 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 and his group, they're amazed at this. This is eight years after the day of Pentecost, and what you're seeing now is a Gentile Pentecost, if you will, the Holy Spirit coming upon Cornelius and his household in very dramatic ways. And that leads to scene four. And so Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. That's the first Gentile baptism service we know of. And isn't it wonderful that Cornelius and his household, when Peter says, oh, how beautiful this is, so you too can be baptized in water in the name of for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't it wonderful that they didn't say, well, don't you know about the experience we just had? We don't need to embrace baptism. Throughout all of these narratives, you see in Cornelius and Peter just immediate, meticulous obedience, and they were baptized, and it's a beautiful scene. So, five quick lessons. Very quick, five. First, which is the obvious one, God does not show favoritism. He does not show favoritism. No nationality or race or class is beyond God's call. No terrorist or murderer or drug addict is beyond his grace. And we are to have no partiality, we as his followers are to have no partiality or prejudice when it comes to the gospel. No human is common or unclean, and no human is to be spurned, shunned, rejected, despised because of their ethnicity or race or culture or physical traits or their age or their socioeconomic status. Chris Green said this, we have a common salvation. We have one common problem, which is sin. We have one common Savior, Jesus. There is only one real race, the human race. And we have one hope, resurrection to eternal 
life. My friends, though, there's a kind of partiality that some of you might have. And it has to do maybe with a person's behavioral past. And you say, well, I just don't know if someone like that would ever be open to the message of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that someone who's been involved in that lifestyle would ever be receptive. May I read you a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Not on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty pointed. And now listen to this next phrase. And that's what some of you were. But you've been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Peter, Ronnie, First Colony Church of Christ, Please don't call anything that I have created impure or common. We welcome all to God's grace through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And secondly, no one's too good for the gospel. (laughs) I'm speaking to some here in this room today or maybe online. You are the finest person. People love working with you. They love volunteering with you in the community. You are generous, and you're friendly to Christianity, and you're friendly to church. Some of your best friends are people who go to church, and you're generically religious. You wouldn't say that, you know, I just, you're certainly not anti-God. You're friendly to God, but you're at the edges, and you've never made that personal decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to be baptized in his name, just like Cornelius and his household. And to begin to walk and follow Jesus Christ and to be a part of his church, to be a part of the church family. No one's too good. No one's too bad, but no one's too good for the gospel either. And to receive those wonderful promises. Thirdly, no one comes to Christ just by observing alone. (laughs) Sometimes you'll meet a believer and They tend to think, if we just live good lives among people, people will see us and they'll just automatically come to faith. No, they won't. Now, if when people see your good lives, you can awaken the possibility of faith. But faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by responding to the message of Jesus Christ. And that leads to point four. So to whom then could you be a Peter? To whom can you be a Peter and speak God's welcoming love? Hey, let me ask you a question. An angel of the Lord appeared and spoke to Cornelius, right? Why didn't the angel of the Lord just tell him how to respond to Jesus? 
Why did he say, hey, send for Peter 30 miles south and have him come up? Why didn't the angel of the Lord just tell him? It's like when the Lord himself appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. Why didn't he just tell Saul to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins? Why did he say, hey, go into the city and wait for a man named Ananias, and he'll come and he'll teach you? I don't know all the reasons, but that's the way the Lord works. He doesn't need us. He chooses to need us. And he primarily works through his people. And it was then Peter who showed up and, and said, hey, I'm, I'm here and I'm t- I want to talk to you about Jesus. He was real. He lived. He appeared. He, he died a sacrificial death. He was raised to life again. He calls us to follow him. And here's what I'm asking you today. Is it possible that God has arranged for you to be near that particular cubicle or near that particular office? Has God so orchestrated your situation to where there's a person in your class or a person on your street or a person that you lift weights with And you can be a Peter to that Cornelius. And don't you just wonder, is there a a, a grandparent or a parent somewhere today or a friend who's praying for their friend or their child or their grandchild who's moved to Fort Bend County or to the greater Houston area saying, Lord, I'm praying over them. They used to walk with you. They don't anymore. They've just... or. They've just been at the edges. And, Lord, I'm praying that there will be someone in their life, in their work, in the street, on their recreational basketball team, who will just speak up for you and be a, a spiritual Christian word of wisdom and breath of fresh air. Faith is responding to specific information about Jesus. And might it be, let me just ask, to whom might you be postured to be a Peter and speak God's welcoming love? And here's my last fifth observation, quick lesson. Would you be attentive to some life-changing moments from God? Would you be, a, be attentive to, uh, to some of these second conversions and third conversions and maybe fourth conversions. And would you be attentive to some of these, I now realize, you know, like Peter said, I now realize God doesn't show, I I get it now. I sort of knew it before. It was out there at the periphery. I I sort of knew it, but now I, I really get it. God doesn't show favoritism. He welcomes all. I get this now. Would you be open to some I now realize moments for you. Where basically you are walking with the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. You know, for some, for some of you, maybe it's a, you know, I now realize, I sort of knew this before, but I really get it now, that children don't just automatically follow Jesus. 
They need to be discipled. Um, I now realize, I, I, I knew it before, but I now realize marriages just don't function well on autopilot. They need nurture and attention. I now realize, and I kind of knew this before, but I now realize, and I'm not going back, the love of money really is a root of all kinds of evil. I kind of knew this. Now I really know it. I now realize that in a world filled with lies and deception, discernment is absolutely vital and cannot be overrated. I knew this sort of before COVID, (laughs) but here's something I now realize fully. Fellowship with other believers, it is not a luxury. It is a precious privilege. I want to keep in step with the Spirit and uh, have those second and third conversions. And for some of us here, it's like, I, I knew this before, but here's something now I realize and I get it fully. I now realize just how high and long and wide and deep is the love of God for everyone and for me too. And I now realize that if my God is for me, who can be against me? And here's something I kind of knew before, but I now realize that I can cast all of my anxiety upon the living God. Why? Because He cares for me. And here's something I sort of knew, but I now realize I can't do it all. But I can do something in His power, and I can make a difference for Him starting at home, in the church, in the community, and beyond. And just like sometimes, just like Peter had to look at that threshold and say, all right, I'm stepping across. Here we go. But I'm stepping, I'm keeping in step with the Spirit. Some of you in, our, in this room today, are you in the, the shoes of a Cornelius? And you're a really good person. But you need the gospel. Is it time for you to take those steps of faith, repentance, baptism, following? And are you in the shoes of a Peter (laughs) where you can and and are and will be used beautifully? Stay open to those moments that are second conversions, would you?